So we came up with the name Feminine Intelligence so that we could have the conversation with men and women and all other genders. And the reason we spoke about feminine intelligence is we didn't want to segregate or go into a polarity or a binary situation, and yet the name FemQ suggests that we do because it's feminine. But what we saw and what I believe is that when we look at a whole system and its viability and its integrity in terms of wholeness, what was missing was the feminine. It's dominated by the masculine. It's dominated and has been. All the decisions have been made in every sector of society for as far back as we can remember or history takes us. All decisions have been dominated by men and by the masculine, stronger masculine and often toxic masculine traits and, and competencies and qualities. So that's why we created FemQ and we started talking about feminine intelligence because we wanted to cultivate an environment where people could come together and have a conversation to redignify and respect the feminine. Prophecies have foretold, and wisdom keepers all know, that the rise of the feminine will restore balance to our world. In this podcast, we are on a journey to understand the root of the imbalance that has caused disconnection and dysfunction within our humanity so we can emerge as leaders, creating a new story on Earth. I'm Lauren Walsh. And I'm Shayna Connors. With humble hearts and open minds, we will converse with spiritual teachers, historians, psychologists, revolutionaries, leaders, and healers to navigate these evolving times and reintegrate the feminine history that we have forgotten. Welcome to the Time of the Feminine podcast. Welcome, loves, to another episode of the Time of the Feminine podcast. Oh, thank you so much for being here with us. We are so honored that you're on this journey with us. We feel so grateful for the feedback we've been getting. And if you've been enjoying this journey, please go ahead and leave us a review. We've heard from smart podcast people that leaving a review will help us get the word out and help other women listen to this too. So if you can, please leave us a review. And today we have a very special, incredible podcast guest, Karen Downs, who is my latest biggest girl crush. She's so cool. And you'll see for yourself, she is a pioneer of the notion of FemQ which means feminine intelligence. And she's creating a revolution around this concept. The qualities of care, compassion, listening, inclusivity, interconnectedness, and intuition. This woman is a bad ass and has had a 30-year career of building successful companies and supporting civil society organizations to transform entrenched cultural norms seeped in masculine values by bringing the concept of feminine intelligence into these organizations and also into big businesses. She began in the health and well-being industry. She co-founded and built an $8.5 million alternative healthcare enterprise in Australia. And she's so beautiful. She, her daughter is beautiful. They're both so amazing. And I really, truly am honored to give you this episode with Karen Downs. We hope you enjoy. Karen, 
so wonderful to have you. Thank you so much for being here with us. An absolute pleasure. And thank you so much. It's so great to be with you both. For all of you listening, it was such a treat to get an email from Karen because her organization, FemQ, has been on my radar for a very long time. Well, I guess for four years. And I just knew that what she and her daughter were doing is just something that is so needed and so necessary. So we're going to dive into all of that. We're going to talk about feminine intelligence. We're going to talk about these times and what's being called forth from the feminine. So Karen, would you like to share anything about the nature of these times feel like to you? Absolutely. Firstly, it's, it's such a pleasure to be able to be publicly speaking so boldly for so many of us about this time and this time that has come for the feminine to rise. So everyone that's listening, everyone that's endeavoured for perhaps even decades to bring a shift, a transformation about in our system and in the way that we lead and live, this is our time. So it's definitely just a real privilege to be having this conversation so publicly, so boldly out in the world. So thank you for the work you're doing. I want to go back because it's how you met or how you found me, Lauren, and then I found you, is through uh, an organisation we started in 2016. We actually started, we came together, four of us came together in 2015, and I'd been working on a project with Dr. Cilla Elworthy, who's a dear friend and colleague, And we'd been in that movement we'd created or she had created with two other colleagues was called Rising Women, Rising World. And when we came together in 2015, we started to talk about the statistics that were letting us all know that if we continue on the path that we're on, parity and equality would not happen for another 95 years if we didn't change something. And then when we sat together and moved out of this notion of rising women, rising world, because we felt that there were a lot of women-only initiatives, we wanted to have a different conversation. We wanted to invite the feminine that exists in all of us, in all genders, in all cultures. We wanted to raise the awareness, re-dignify and embody this notion of the feminine principle that has been marginalised, subjugated, disregarded, disrespected for centuries. So we came up with the name Feminine Intelligence so that we could have the conversation with men and women and all other genders. And the reason we spoke about Feminine Intelligence is we didn't want to segregate or go into a polarity or a binary situation, and yet the name FemQ suggests that we do because it's feminine. But what we saw and what I believe is that when we look at a whole system and its viability and its integrity in terms of wholeness, what was missing was the feminine. It's dominated by the masculine. It's dominated and has been. All the decisions have been made in every sector of society for as far back as we can remember or history takes us. All decisions have been dominated by men and by the masculine, stronger masculine and often toxic masculine traits and and competencies and qualities. So that's why we created FemQ and we started talking about feminine intelligence because we wanted to cultivate an environment where people could come together and have a conversation to re-dignify and respect the feminine. 
And over the five years since we began, we launched our first summit. As you know, Lauren and Shana, we launched our first summit in Berlin in 2016. And we had, for our very first summit, 140 people come from 17 countries. So it was quite extraordinary. And men did come, but very few. And so still the question we pondered was how come? How come when the word feminine is used, it's still regarded as women's business or the women's corner to speak about or the a feminist movement. But we wanted to speak about the qualities of mercy and deep listening and empathy and compassion and all of the qualities that we know have been taught, socialised and normalised or taken out of the uh, usually a young man's upbringing. And we wanted to talk about those qualities and how we could bring them back in. I'm going to pause there because I'm talking a lot and just want to pause and let that sort of really just resonate. Yeah, thank you for bringing that, Karen. I think it's it's really important for men and women. My path has been the reclaiming of the feminine essence. And I'm sure all of the women listening have either been through a journey of some kind of realizing the imbalance between their masculine and feminine energy are currently in it. I think it's definitely a realization that we we have as we turn to the feminine, turn to the mother and walk this path because so many of us are out of balance because there's been this belief, this subjugation that, you know, the feminine is less important than the masculine. And so really this time being about the rebalancing. So thank you for bringing that as well. I'm curious, what happened in your life that caused you to believe that this was important? I would have to say, um, I'm sure um, everyone can hear my Australian accent. And I have to say that culturally, that had a huge impact on how I perceived myself and who I believed myself to be by being raised by very, very strong, and I would say now I know the terms, then of course I didn't, chauvinistic, and misogynistic would be too strong, but the disdain and the disrespect for women, and yet, from my father, and yet he was an amazing father, he gave me my, encouraged my boldness and me to be audacious in the world, but I could see that it was very much in the fight against him that I pulled that up, I pulled that resilience, I pulled that strength, I pulled that muscle, and I would stand toe-to-toe with him to find my place. And so I had to fight for my place in the family. I celebrated that for a long time because it got me a long way. And then when I started studying, I didn't even finish high school actually, and I didn't go to university, but I did take up on my own endeavours to create my own university. So I studied a multitude of alternative health practices and disciplines. And I went from physical as an aerobic instructor into spiritual and studied Rudolf Steiner's work in anthroposophy. That was my spiritual studies through to nutrition and diet and many, many other aspects, reflexology, massage. But I fell in love with aromatherapy. And aromatherapy for me was a lighting up of sensuality. And it was in a modality that I fell in love with because it had scientific evidence to prove its efficacy of the essential oils. And it had beauty from the plants. It had mystery and magic from mythology and stories of old of how women would anoint their bodies. So I think for me, firstly, when I became a mother, 
I started waking up to the miracle of a woman's body. And wow, that was a defining moment where everything changed and life would never be the same again. And we've all had those moments. You don't need to be a mother to have those epiphanal moments, but that waking up is important. So that was a waking up at 26. And then I started my own business with my sister at 28, not knowing how to run a business, but doing it all by passion and by wanting to make a difference to women's bodies, their perception of their bodies. So we had a message that we wanted to return the healing to the women who were the healers of the home and they could use essential oils to do that, but also to treat their body as a temple to the soul. And so the 13 years I spent with all women in mystery, in magic, in storytelling, and we created that into or brought about a, and created a multi-million dollar business. So literally from kitchen tabletop to a multi-million dollar business exporting product to five countries. Now, I don't say that because of my ego. I say it because I had no education and formal training, but I made, we made it up and we meditated every morning mm. and we let oil vaporizers. So I would say when I look back, now that would be called conscious leadership or the feminine principle in action of nurturing, of nourishment, building community, taking care of the people. Our people came first in the organization. And so we embodied what we believed in. And so for 13 years, I was in that world of, you know, people saying to me, aroma what? It sounds really weird because that term was not commercialized when we began. And during those years of formulating my company, I uh, signed up as a contributor, sponsor and activist for the Hunger Project. And what's important about hunger is that it's got nothing to do with food. Famine is the lack of food, but the chronic persistence of hunger that was discovered that a key to ending the chronic persistence of hunger was ending the subjugation and marginalization of women in developing countries. When women had a voice, when women could have economic stability, when they had rights to property, when they had a right to say no to marriage versus being sold off as child brides. So spending months on the ground in the villages of India and Bangladesh broke my heart and broke it open. So I think being with women globally in all aspects of society, in all cultures for 13 years and then moving to England and working in some of the toughest industries in corporate as a corporate consultant and business advisor in the extractive industries, I saw the contrast of on one extreme, the feminine, all women, the feminine principle activated, empowered, and then the other disregarded, disrespected. And I was often the only woman in the room only because I was a consultant and being paid was I listened to. So the contrast for me was the out of balance in the extremes. So 13 years with all of the feminine and women and then 13 years with men out of the oil and gas industry. So I went from oils out of plants to oils out of the ground because I thought I could change those industries. But I got broken instead. I didn't crack them open. I got cracked open. So I wanted to do something about that. Can you share more about that? I think the experience I had was I'm pretty bold and pretty strong. You both know me a little now. And so mm. I can stand up for most and I can stand up for myself. You know, I'm also an yep. amateur cyclist, so I've competed in cycling events and I've done a lot of things to build my own resi resilience in 
not a feisty way, but now I see it as why well, I lead a women's leadership program called Leading with Grace and Resilience. So I think the both are needed. And that's what I could I experienced physically and emotionally in those corporate environments was the um, facade of respect that I would say. In many cases, profound respect and regard. There is something that exists in the system, and I would say it exists in all of us, where we've been colonised by the system. We can't even see what we've adopted and how we've adapted. So even when we started FemQ, and that's what led me to start FemQ, and also my consulting business called the Flourish Initiative, because flourishing is a very feminine word to me, and I want people to flourish, but you need the feminine to flourish. It's what Mother Earth does. So I think the, for me, when people say to me, oh, I know exactly what the feminine is, or men say to me, oh, I'm using my feminine side, I'm very suspicious because we're still in the system and we're discovering, we're cracking ourselves open, we're exploring, we're reading, we're investigating, we're holding each other, but we have to peel back these layers as you and your beautiful work does, you encourage women to peel back the layers. You do, I both, I know you both now, and I know you do the work. You do the inner work mm. to understand how you've been constructed, how I've been constructed and socialised, according to my father, according to the patriarchal system. And there is another way. It's such a time of unlearning and remembering, I feel like, this feminine exploration to understand the nature of the feminine intelligence this essential life force energy is exactly what you say very mysterious and it requires a lot of humility to understand and to meet and to encounter and to truly begin to embody and karen i just want to say this story that you just shared is such an incredible example and model for all of us that following in the feminine principle leading with community and meditating and deep listening can really lead somewhere powerful and impactful um that's a paradigm shift in itself and you're a pioneer in that and it's i have so much respect and i'm curious now that you've gone through these different places of leading in a feminine environment and leading and consulting in a masculine paradigm environment where there was almost like a a ruse of respect but you didn't feel deeply seen or met because of the paradigm and now the work you're doing with feminine intelligence and this deep exploration what have you found to be true about the nature of feminine intelligence and why is it crucial to the shifting of the paradigm and the restoration or the transformation of the systems that keep the feminine subjugated? Because it's systemic, it's in our own human system as well as in the system outside of us. I think often what I feel when I'm having these many conversations on this topic is that people can see it outside themselves but not inside. And I think that is if we can take responsibility for how we are still part of the system and at times we can't see it, I think it's critical that we start to recognise we are responsible as women now that we're awake and we are at this time where the system, the pandemic has given us the opportunity or a crisis to make a choice, to wake up out of the trance. So I would say I'm not so sure about unlearning something. That's what I'm curious about, because if I learn something, 
I need to be able to recognise I've learned it and then which piece do I keep and which piece do I put down because I can never not know what I know. And so for me, I, I'm talking about now the, the trance that I've been under, the spell, a bit like the Matrix movie you go into and you choose to take the pill, the red, blue, the red pill or the blue pill, if we dare. But we, there's a lot we have to give up in order to move into the, and to create a new system in ourselves. We have to give up the notion of scarcity of where women will fight for their place and their seat at the table. We have to give up the notion of scarcity that there's not enough conscious, you know, I hear this a lot, there's not enough conscious men in the world and, and then women will betray one another. We have to give up that we will betray another woman for the sake of our own gain. It's the old system. So I think there's a lot that we've gained and there's also a lot we have to recognise that we have to give up and can we, are we willing to give that up? The positions of power I've noticed for myself during the pandemic, I had this question come to me very early on in March last year, who would I be if I wasn't me? And if I could imagine who would I be, it required me to give some things up. So I actually cut a lot of my corporate work out because I didn't want to move into that until I could find and be with leaders that were really truly committed, not because it was a nice thing to say, but corporate leaders that were truly committed to the profound respect, dignifying and introducing the feminine and the marginalised voices, not just the feminine, but the marginalised voices that needed to be at the table, whether it's the river or the tree or the all genders that need to be included. So I think we have to, some of us, and hopefully some of the men will be willing to give up their seats. So it's a giving up as well as a waking up. I think it's both. I'm not sure if that answered the question, Lauren. <laughs> it was a big one. It does. It does. I think... I think of this giving up and what I meant by unlearning is like a deconditioning as well. A deconditioning of the patriarchal paradigm that's systemically within and around to encounter something new. And this feminine presence that it when we talk about it, it seems so ethereal. It's like like, oh, the feminine. And it is somewhat. That's that's the the thing that's so beautiful and also maybe challenging about it is because it's hard to quantify this energy we're speaking of. And I guess what I want to know is from your experience of teaching about this energy in corporate and to men, how do you explain it? How do you have people really grasp it and feel it and come to know it in a visceral way? I would say it's always depending on the context I'm in. I change the conversation. There's not one way of coming at this as we all know. Every time I'm in a new situation, I have to find a new way to say it. Even in today's conversation, I'm saying something that I've not said before. So I think if we lose the sense that we have to get this right and we have to say it in a particular way and it represents X, Y and Z qualities, I think that opens up curiosity. And I know that when we started and even on our website, FemQ website, we say these are the qualities and yet we've been contested so many times. How can you say deep listening is a feminine quality? You know, men will say, I, I profoundly listen to my children and my wife and so on and so forth. So the debate isn't useful of what is feminine and what's not. But how to open up the conversation I found myself these days because of my experiences on the ground in India 
and in corporate, these two extremes, I find myself talking about, and I'm just designing the model with a colleague at the moment, being able to talk about it like a spectrum or a continuum. So on one hand, if we think of the extreme of biology, if we just talk about the physical and gender, we could, you and I could not have a conversation in India on the ground in a village about feminine intelligence because it would be so out of context. They are subjugated and they are beaten and they are violated. So we have to talk about biology. We have to talk about gender in, those, in that context. But on the other side of the spectrum, way the other side is if we move along the continuum or the spectrum, when we do talk about feminine intelligence, we're talking about the psyche of the human being and how those qualities that we can feel of that a woman and, and the feminine, not just a woman, but the feminine represents is the notion of bonding. Where do we see bonding? We see bonding in the animal kingdom when a mother is protecting or mother is feeding. When you walk through a field with sheep and the sheep get scared and there's baby lambs, they run to the mother you for security. They don't run to the father. So this notion of the feminine exists in the animal world, in the animal kingdom and in mother nature. She is regenerative. She works in rhythms and cycles as we do. So the feminine works in rhythms, cycles and circular. The masculine is much more linear, cause and effect, more logical, pragmatic. And we all have both. It's just that the feminine has been disregarded as soft and weak versus the power of unification, intimacy and sensibilities that it develops when we focus on those qualities. So I think in corporate, in a corporate context, as I said, I've gone at it in so many different ways, because if I ask the question of men, where do they go to feel or experience their sense of belonging? It's never the office. They might say, if depending on the group, they might say in the pub with my mates, they might say in a football match where there's team spirit, but ultimately, they will say what's most important to them is their family and where they feel loved is with their family. And where they feel the deep connection is with usually the feminine is bringing that about in the family home. And so women have, we've become, we've moved so far, but we'll stay with the corporate for a moment. So I think if in having the conversation about inclusivity and diversity, I would also ask the question of for men in particular, what qualities do you have to, you know your strengths and they will usually be able to speak about their strengths. What qualities or strengths do you also have that you are not allowed to use here? And they will always typically say. I love that. Humility, compassion. They have to operate under an agenda and a performance review, which is based all performance reviews, as far as I can tell in every, and I've worked in many, in every corporate KPIs are measured by what I would call the masculine, performance, competition. And it starts at a very early age, if we think about it. You know, we even think when we're small children and you're at a birthday party and the, and the mother says, oh, it's time for cake, children. And children all run up to get the cake. And the mother says, who came first in order to share the cake? And we've just introduced, therefore, competition. So these subtleties, and I tell these stories or I tell the stories um, where I can use very real examples um, of what can transcend this notion of competition is my own embodied experience of being a cyclist and riding in a peloton. And usually I was maybe one of two or three women in a group of 50 men. 
and a peloton has to ride together and everyone does their turn at the front. If you've ever watched the Tour de France or one of the big cycling races, it's an extraordinary example of sensory acuity of who needs to be taken care of and who rotates their turn and who needs to be included and no one's left out. And, and that was one of the amazing gifts of learning to be a cyclist is that sense that there was no bias. If I was bold enough to get on the bike and I, could, I had the strength in my muscles to turn the pedals and keep up, I was part of the whole. There was no sense that there was a gender. So I've had loads of embodied experiences and visceral and very the corporate experiences where I felt it in my body, I could hear it in the room, and emotionally I felt it. And I think when we, now our sensitivities are so alerted to all of this, we can spot it much more quickly and speak out. So I'm curious, Karen, about your ideas, your vision about how we communicate why feminine intelligence is so important and how we educate people basically as quickly as possible because the earth needs us to come into balance. And so I'm curious about what you think around education and how we spread the message, so to speak. Thanks, Shana. And great point to raise because one of the reasons why we did create FemQ is because we couldn't get women to the table quickly enough. And therefore, if we could bring this notion of feminine intelligence that men could embrace, understand and start to embody, it would make a profound difference. So I, um, I think the conversation that we need to have is that feminine intelligence is part of the human psyche and the whole system and put it into context of a system versus something personal. Because when it becomes personal, people either will defend their point of view or they will defend themselves. And men, they've been in power for a long time and the masculine has dominated their system, these very strong masculine traits. So how do we invite them, enrol them, encourage them to have a different kind of conversation. And that's not easy, especially in the corporate environment. It's not easy because they don't want to give up their power. They've had it for a long time and they can't see it or feel it like we can when it's not there. And so in a sense, we don't, as women, I'm saying we in the collective of women showing up in a space is we, I think it's often women will say they're not being heard and they occur as victims. We're not victims. We are part of the contribution and the problem. And so recognising that we want to explore and invite people into an exploration of what this might mean and where do they see it and what do they think it is versus tell them what it is. I'm often finding these days I'm, I'm asking the question more than I'm telling, giving the answers. So I think with men in particular, I can remember talking to a banker in the UK and he said, well, well, tell me, feminine intelligence, what, what on earth is that? And I said, well, let me ask you, when you go to work, do you find during the day that you feel exhausted and depleted because you're marching through the day without any breaks? And he said, yes. And I said, so that's not paying attention to the rhythm of your body, what your body needs. You're not in touch, perhaps, you could consider with what your body needs. And the feminine is cyclic and rhythmic and moves in those cycles and rhythms. So if you were to take a break during the day, that would be taking care of yourself. 
which most men, and by the way, women, but most men are not trained to do. So you could say that's a feminine of taking pause, taking a break, restoring yourself. So I speak it in very, sometimes very abstract terms. And then the next question I asked him, and I said, if you can't have that rhythm and you can't take those breaks, you can't restore and regenerate yourself, what does that mean? How you go home to your family, exhausted, depleted, and how are you available for them? So we have to notice how the system has got hold of us and and we can easily burn out. And also then you feel restored because you feel loved. But imagine if you could bring that love to your colleagues, not romantic love, but a true love for who they are. Do you sometimes feel like you've got one hand tied behind your back because you can't bring these other qualities? And he said, I get it, for sure. And I'm constantly burned out. And I'm constantly trying to show up and be brave. And then it opens up the conversation of vulnerability. And there we are, two human beings. Wow, that story brought tears to my eyes. Just thinking about those simple series of questions that you asked him and then taking that personal experience and like multiplying that by millions and millions of people having that same experience, creating, creating and perpetuating this system, this cage without regeneration and what that's doing to the resources of our planet and to ourselves. We are a microcosm of what's taking place for our mother earth and the simplicity in which you ask those questions are so profound. I think the other thing, Lauren, just as you say that, because I can feel it in my system right now, is the notion that I studied with Joanna Macy years ago, and I so love her work for anyone listening. Her books are extraordinary. And one of the phrases she uses is, we will not protect what we don't cherish. We only protect, more in the positive, we only protect what we cherish or what we love. And we've become so dissociated from nature because of our fast-paced city lives for the majority of us in the developed world or in the global north that we've lost connection to those things. We go out to nature to be restored, but right now I'm sitting in Costa Rica and you don't go out into nature here. Nature comes into you. I'm looking at the jungle and it literally is pouring into me for regeneration. And I'll say in corporates, I'll often ask the question, Do you ever feel that when you lock your car in the car park or you get off the train, that that's where you leave your heart as you walk into the office door? Well, now we're working from home because of the pandemic and now intensity of of personal relationships and we see what's happened is a greater force upon us where the pandemic has disproportionately affected women all over the world. So the statistics are appalling, shocking. And here in Costa Rica of many different domestic abuse, violence, incest, all because people have been locked up in their homes. And again, it's the women. Look at the statistics in what's happening in in other parts of the world at the moment, in wars and in situations of violence and conflict. It's the women and children that are usually mostly affected. And what, ask the question when you go out into the world, what would you do without the feminine? And she's suffering. Karen, how are the women in the global north, the women in the more Western world, how are we perpetuating the patriarchal paradigm and this lack of regeneration? How are we contributing to it? It's generational because my age would be very different from what either of you or my daughter would answer. 
So I'll give you an example of why I'm saying what I, why I'm qualifying what I'm about to say is that because of my experiences on the ground in India, because of how I was raised in a very different social system than my daughter. My daughter went to a Steiner school. I've tried to raise her independently and took her to India when she was 12 to expose her to other parts of the world, etc., etc. So that doesn't make me an amazing mother. That just makes me trying to expose my daughter to a global system. Whereas I was told that my family was the only one that mattered. I mattered. Look after myself, have my boundaries, protect myself, and yeah, pretty much take care of myself. Don't worry about the rest of the world. I remember when I joined the Hunger Project, my father was so dismissive and critical of my engagement with that because his question was, what do you get out of it? And I think that's one of the biggest challenges we have is when we do something, when we're networking, when we're looking for a job, when we're shopping, where it's, it's this cost-benefit ratio we operate in, which is what's the benefit for me and what's in it for me. And I think in a lot of my training years ago, I used to say that we all walk around with an antenna on the top of our head like a radio station tuned into WIIFM, what's in it for me. And I think that's the shift that I'm wanting to make with FemQ is I was speaking to, uh, I won't name him because he's very well known, I was speaking to a colleague on Friday and I said quite honestly here in Costa Rica, everyone I speak to just about is a yoga teacher wanting to be a yoga teacher or wanting to open a retreat. And when I delve a little more deeply, and that's not a criticism because the yoga movement has opened up the feminine. It's amazing for a shift in consciousness. But we were talking and we were saying quite honestly, I actually think he did say I could quote him, um, but quite honestly, we have to get off our yoga mats and make it just about us and be in action in the world. So I think we have to, that's the biggest thing I think is we're failing at right now is many people here come here to participate and learn and we all need that, but we have to do it in parallel. It's not yoga and then one day I'll get to my activism. It's how does my yoga make a difference in who I'm being when I go out into the world and take action for a regenerative future for the future of our next seven generations. So many of us are a little bit stuck in the inner work and it's beautiful. It's so important to do that inner work because it helps you find alignment. It helps you find the truth. It helps you decondition. It helps you do all of these things. Helps you orient and we each have a role to play. So how do we find the balance between the inward and the outward? How do we walk in a way in this world that, that carries the inner work that we're doing into our jobs, into our families? And how do we start to impact those around us so we can really have this, this change? And Shana, that reminds me, thank you for, for saying that and underscoring it because it reminds me, I can remember running a workshop with a group of social entrepreneurs who were training in the new ways of bringing business and their activism into the world. And after I finished the workshop, one of the young women came up to me and asked my email address and wrote to me. And she said, after the workshop, I realized that I was going out into the world angry because I, was, I had been raped in my teenage years and I was angry with every man, not just my perpetrator, but every man represented that to me. And so her activism was based in anger. Now anger puts fire in our belly, but if we carry that into our actions, 
we're perpetuating the problem of blame and and the energy doesn't clean the field. It perpetuates it. Mm. That is a really important point. Yeah. So it's really important to do, as you said, Shana, to do our inner work and then to go out into the world. And one of the things is a program or a workshop that I run called Interaction. And it's basically going through a cycle. And the question I ask is, and it comes out of Joanna Macy's work, is when people say to me, I'm looking to find my purpose, it's quite really simple in my view, is what breaks your heart? What breaks your heart and cracks you open? And don't do nothing. Do something. Because that very thing that breaks your heart, and that's why I do FemQ and that's why I do the Flourish Initiative, everything I do is because it breaks my heart to see the opposite. It comes into this responsibility that I think as a collective we've fallen away from, the lack of initiation, the lack of truly growing up into the sense of responsibility for our planet. Like it just happens to be someone else's problem. And we don't as individuals, I'm speaking in general, it seems that so many of us get stuck in the paradigm of scarcity and fear, which causes us to get jobs that can provide the most money. I think we often conflate money with privilege and a life of happiness, which knowing a bunch of people that have a lot of money tends not to be the case necessarily. And so I'm curious about what you think on how we shift the story, how we actually create and inspire women and men to live a life of purpose, to live a life of responsibility, instead of chasing these things that often happen to be empty and won't support the greater collective. I probably would have answered that question very differently at the beginning of last year, Shana, but I think mm -hmm. the pandemic has changed everything. And I, what I mean by that is I've never in, I'm 62, 63 this year, and I've never in four decades of doing this work, of inner work and outer action, I've never seen ever as many people as I speak to that are asking very big existential questions. Who am I? Do I matter? What matters? And what do I need to do differently? So I really feel that this is an opportunity, which is why we're doing FemQ, the, our event, and why I will continue this work. It's the opportunity to create forums where we can have these conversations, but I think deep healing is needed as we come out of the pandemic and we need to look to where we can heal and bring that into our community and into our families to deeply listen to. We're going to have mental health issues for decades to come. And so taking responsibility when we're overwhelmed with big responsibility and so many young people feeling the despair of the future, I think we need to deeply be able to listen to people, listen to what they're dealing with and be able to create a new story for them. So, for example, I'll give you a very quick story. Years ago, five years ago, I had an accident in Australia and this is when I'm speaking to shifting context and perspective and narrative, Shana. So I had an accident in Australia. I was on holidays with my daughter and my father, and I fell down a flight of stairs and broke my back. It was nine o'clock in the morning. We're on holidays. I was not rushing. It hadn't been, you know, it was in the morning, so I was very relaxed. And my big toe caught in the lace of the bottom of my pyjamas and tumbled down the stairs, and I was flat on the floor. Prior to that accident, I was a competitive cyclist and considered myself an athlete. After that accident, 
I did not. I had totally told another story about myself, which was I won't curse because that's what comes into my mind of cursing myself, that I was so stupid that I would fall down a flight of stairs and now I had lost that ability to have that strength in my body and the resilience. So I had a whole new story about myself for about three months. So I was in a body brace for three months. I wasn't allowed to walk anywhere without it. I took myself off every substance, that sugar, wheat, coffee, alcohol, everything. So my body had the best opportunity to heal. So three months in the body brace. I am an independent consultant, so I lost all my work and was facing a very, what looked like a very dark future. And every morning I woke up and had to put that body brace on, I would curse it and curse myself. That was the story I was telling myself. And then most people were writing to me saying, of all people, Karen, you're so strong, you'll be back on your feet in no time. And all I could say was, could you give me a minute? I'm not there yet. I couldn't even hold conference calls or be in conversations with my colleagues. I just didn't have it. So I call that a winter of the soul. And let yourself go through a winter, but don't stay there because spring comes after it. And I talk about seasons of the soul in flurry in my business. And a friend wrote to me and said, what would you call, because I was talking about my body brace to him, and he wrote to me and he said, what would you call someone that would listen to you, was there for you 24-7, held you upright, had your back, had you strong, Personally, I like the name Remo Boone and he sent me a link to men's names and, it's, and I think it was Blessed Warrior. He was talking about my body brace. That was a totally different story about that brace, a totally different narrative, recontextualised. From that day on, I woke up going, good morning, Remo, time to get embraced. Put my body brace on and walked into the world strong. Totally different story. Circumstances no different, totally different story. So we are the generators of our own stories. What's the story you tell about yourself every day? What's the story you tell about your girlfriend or your colleague? Where do you repeat gossip? Where do you disempower? All of those are our, is in our choice, in our responsibility. And when we introduce this notion of seasons of the soul to a corporate client where we train 1,600 of their leaders over a one-year period, we did 49 two-day programs, so it was a real marathon. But all they left with the program saying it was the first time the company had ever invested in them personally versus trying to do more management and productivity. So I think bringing the personal back to corporate, telling a different story about ourselves, holding true to our agency and our sovereignty and walking strong into the world knowing we're here to make a difference. And we all do. Karen, if you could channel the voice of the Great Mother for all of humanity, and we could all receive a message from her, what would she say? She would say, you have all you need. You have everything right at your fingertips. Pause, listen, and listen to the future calling you. And step into that future now. Thank you so much for listening to this episode today. If you are enjoying it, if you are liking it, please do us a solid favor and leave us a review. We have heard from people who know such things that leaving a review is good for the podcast. It will help the algorithm and more people will be able to see it and listen to it and receive this knowledge from all these incredible women. So if you are interested in supporting us, please go ahead and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. 
And if you'd like to follow our dear sister, Karen, and the incredible work she's doing, you can go to femq.org, F-E-M-M-E-Q.org. Or you can find her personally at theflourishinitiative.com. And as for Shana and I, we run the movement, The Global Sisterhood. We have multiple courses, programs, facilitator trainings, and more for you to enjoy. So come check us out at www.globalsisterhood.org or follow us on Instagram at The Global Sisterhood. Much love and until next time.